This is the Education Gadfly Show. Some run-ins with monkeys there. One that kept trying to drink my caipirinha. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Kanye West of Education I'm going to let you finish, Mike, but, but wait a minute. Sorry. Robert Pendicio. <laughs> Come on. Kanye? Mean Kanye? <laughs> I see it. Uh, so, Alyssa gets the reference. <laughs> She's Taylor Swift. No, uh, that would actually make Mike Taylor Swift because he was interrupted and I'm Beyonce. I, I'm I, cool I, 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 I dream about being Taylor Swift. I often think I am Taylor Swift. You should hear me karaoke Taylor Swift. I'm not sure you want to be Taylor Swift. You've been following her PR cycle. I haven't. And that's the problem. I I haven't been following anything. I mean, I saw some headline about Kanye West West saying something at the MTV, MTV Music Awards. Is that right? The VMAs. The VMAs. Video Music Awards. And uh, so there you go. Uh, Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm the Beyonce of Edge Reform. Calling it, owning it. Uh huh. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Did we give you that once? I just took it, which is what Beyonce would do. Boom. I like that. She's not gotten, getting information. Bad. Not bad. Wow. All Robert, right. that was an excellent reference on your part as Thanks. well. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my mama drowned the dumb ones, Alyssa. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. Okay. It's already going in so many directions. <laughs> so let's a transition now to talk about education. That's what oh, we're yeah. here for. We're yeah. going to do our ed reform update. We are going to talk about ESSA. We are not going to talk about supplement, not supplant. You want to know why? Tell me why. Because I cannot figure out what the heck it means or what these new regulations the department put out uh, are all about. Uh, and maybe, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody else knows either. I mean, it's, they're so convoluted and complicated, this thing about school funding. So let, let's not try to pretend that we understand it. Uh, uh, you're not going to get an argument from me. All right. Yes, Alyssa. Moving right, right along. This is going to be very good for the educational consulting business in coming <laughs> months. As 14,000 school act. districts try to understand what the heck they are now being asked to do. Okay. But what we are going to talk about is accountability. Okay. One of our favorite topics. And another one of our favorite topics, high achieving kids. Hooray, high achieving kids. In the intersection kids. there. And we've got a new study at Fordham. Brand new study out whoop, today. Whoop, whoop. We need a, a new study uh, sound, uh, Audrey. I, I, you know, I feel like I'm always asking for sound effects around here. And, and they never happen. <laughs> They never happen. That's Come probably that's a good maybe thing. a sign. Yeah. <laughs> All right. New study. Uh, wait. What, what did we call it, Alyssa? High stakes for high achievers: state accountability in the age of ESSA. Very nice. Easy for good you to work. Say. Good. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Alyssa, who got some nice coverage in Ed Week mm-hmm. for the for the report. Thank you very much. Uh, this new analysis looks at current state accountability systems in all 50 states plus D.C. Uh, and here's what we were wondering. We we were wondering, are accountability systems today in the pre-ESSA era, are they doing a good job indicating to schools that all kids matter? And the answer in a word would be no. no. Right Now, let's unpack a little bit. Remember, under No Child Left Behind, uh, because of the way the accountability system was set up with that uh, adequate, yearly, uh, adequate yearly progress thing, uh, the whole focus was on getting kids too proficient. Yep. Right. And, and so if that you were meant, already there, uh, you just didn't matter. And you, you were, were the A-OK. trivia question. And you have said, Robert, that when you were teaching uh, long ago yeah. in New York City, those those low income kids who were relatively high achieving, uh, what did your principals tell you about those? Oh, kids? The, the, these are what what I dubbed the not your problem kids. These kids mm-hmm. are not. I was told, your literally told by an assistant principal, well, that, that those kids are not your problem. Yeah, so they'll be fine anyways. Yeah, so uh, isn't it pretty to think so? Pretty <laughs> awful because these kids are kids who are showing great potential, uh, but we know that low income kids who are, are gifted or high achievers, whatever you want to call them, 
don't tend to have as much access to gifted and talented programs, mm-hmm. advanced courses, you know, the the chance to get to be around other high achievers, mm-hmm. or at least part of the day, uh, like their more affluent peers tend to get mm-hmm. in the leafy suburbs or certainly in private the, schools. The leafy suburbs. Uh, yes. Uh, such as the leafy suburbs where I reside. Uh, yes. <laughs> and my two cherished children are now in public schools, by the way. Boom. <laughs> I am completely on the public dime there at this go. point. <laughs> on the dole. Okay. Hey, but I digress. So, uh, so we want to know, I have states moved away from this and under waivers, under the uh, ESEA waivers, mm-hmm. they could, they were allowed, for example, to look at, at growth, mm-hmm. at individual sure. level growth, which if you do it right, sends a signal that, hey, all kids have to make progress if you're going to get a good grade, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Uh, and, uh, and so we want to find out, did, did they take advantage of that? Have they fixed those problems and no child left behind and moving into ESSA? And the question is, is no. 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 Okay, start with the growth thing. All right, here it is. Yeah. You want to guess how many states now uh, both measure growth, individual level growth for all kids, not just low performers, but all kids, and make that growth grade count for at least half of school's summative grades. I'm thinking of a number between zero and 50 states, and I'm guessing it's closer to zero. Four. Four. Okay. Four. Okay. Here we are, right after everything we learned about No Child Behind, basically with every academic uh, in the country saying that proficiency rates are horrible measures mm-hmm. because they're totally related to demographics. And we have four states that are measuring growth and making them count for the the, the majority of a school's grade. Uh, keep mm-hmm. in mind, by the way, this is all for elementary and middle schools. Uh, so that is very depressing. Okay, next thing you could do, though, as we say in the report, is you could also make achievement at an advanced level count for something. I like this Extra idea credit. a lot more. And the reason is is yeah. precisely because I was radicalized by my teaching experience in the Bronx. So you take uh, a, a kid who is a three, you know, as, as we yep. said, yep. on grade level proficient yep. in a school where almost nobody is. That kid may not meet your classical definition of giftedness. Mm-hmm. He or she certainly would not. Uh, but within that universe, they are way, way ahead, and that's why they get ignored. So right. I, the, the idea that you have to get every kid moving in the right direction, uh, as opposed to yeah. merely the gifted, get those threes to fours, yeah. so to speak. So now you've got. So me. there's a way to do this. You can create, uh, like Ohio and other states have a performance index, where you get basically additional points for getting kids to an advanced mm-hmm. level. Yep. Right. And and here you want to guess how many states plus DC do that? It's better news. It is. I. Right, Alyssa? It's 14. It's 14, okay. okay. That's, that's, 14 uh, <laughs> states plus DC that, okay. that have some kind of index or something to, to give the additional credit. Mm-hmm. Now, now for the bad news. Uh, your, your U.S. Department of Education uh, thinks Maybe that this is illegal, illegal. Oh, under Lord. the Every Student oh, Succeeds Lord. Act. Let me repeat that. You, the Department of Education oh. reads the law as requiring credit only for proficiency goodness right goodness. this is the same department that somehow sees in the letter of the law the ability to regulate school finance right. from uh, washington dc regulate everything regulate regulate the, bathrooms. Right. The, does not see the ability to say you know when when the law says you have to measure proficiency there's no reason that you can't also give additional credit for getting kids too advanced mm-hmm. right goodness okay so those 14 states in dc may be out of luck depending on how their final regulations go uh, Okay, when? one other thing you can do is you can pull out the high achievers or if you want to call them gifted kids as a separate subgroup. Mm-hmm. I like this too. All right, that then basically say, hey, just like we report, uh, you know, progress for special ed kids or English mm-hmm. language learners, you can do that for gifted or I prefer to say high achievers because the gifted thing gets you into all kinds of, uh, yep. you know, challenges and how do you define gift? Agreed. Right. And Alyssa, how many states do that? Five. Five. Yes. 
Oh, very... you cheated. I read the no, study. She had to pitch it to reporters. I hope you five. And so all in all, look, we, we end up giving state stars for, you know, doing this or that, the other thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most do terribly. Uh, four states end up doing pretty well overall. Mm-hmm. Right. Ohio. South Carolina, uh, South Carolina, Oregon, and Arkansas. Right. Okay. So Ohio, our home state of Ohio, I would say is probably the leader here in the model. Uh, it may be the case that we help design the accountability <laughs> system in Ohio. So that, that may not be surprising. We can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, but uh, look, you know, the I have been at a fair number of conferences where people are talking about ESSA lately. Mm-hmm. And something that you start to hear, you hear these state officials saying, you know, we actually think that we just need to tweak our accountability right. system to be compliant with ESSA. Right. And, and they're not wrong. In mm-hmm. order to be compliant with ESSA, that's true. They probably only need to tweak it. Mm-hmm. But you know what else? We need to tell those state officials, your accountability system sucks. Yeah. All right. So don't just tweak it. You need to blow it up and start over. But you know, we could also remind them as Checker Finn does in the introduction that this is where the, the, the talent resides. This is where your economic growth lives in the yeah. future. These are the people, uh, your, your sons and daughters who are going to uh, start new companies, create new wealth, create new jobs, et cetera. So we, yep. you, know, you can't just overlook these kids and, and assume that they're going to be okay. Uh, yep. the, these, uh, a, a lot of our future fortunes yep. are, are resting on the shoulders of, of these talented young men and women. And, mm-hmm. and especially when you're talking about these talented young men and women who are also uh, people of color, who are also Absolutely. Low, low income, income right? I mean, that mm-hmm. they... Uh, that their schools need to be told that they are a priority. And look, if we want more diverse college campuses, if we want more diverse professions, if we want more diverse political leadership, I mean, Mm -hmm. all of those things, these are the kids who have a great shot at making it into those positions. But today our school system says, you know, you're not a priority. Yeah. And they're just, I was just going to say like, they're the kids without advocates, which I think is something that is entirely like so important. Like I went to a title one high school, my mother made them start an AP program. They would not have done it unless Mrs. Schwenk was in there talking to the principal. And now like 50, 60 kids a year are taking these AP classes. And that mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened without a pushy parent. Yep. If you don't have that pushy parent. Mm-hmm. Then you need the pushy in loco parentis. Yes, in the pushy like system. And, and look, I have to say, you know, this is a place where some of us in the reform movement uh, have a... a uh, friendly but honest uh, disagreement. I mean, you mm-hmm. have groups out there. Look, the, the you know, uh, Jeb Bush's group, the Foundation for Excellence in Education, both in their home state in Florida and as they've gone around the country helping other states adopt accountability mm-hmm. systems, they have uh, promoted a model where a big chunk of a school's grade is based on the growth for the lowest performing kids, mm-hmm. uh, either in the state or in the school. Um, and, and you know the impulse. I mean, this was a way sure. to get at those kids who had, quote, been left behind, a way mm-hmm. that was colorblind. And, and, and you know, so there, there's a, it's a reasonable impulse. But what I think it does is if you're a high poverty school, okay, all the kids are poor, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, this, and the accountability system says, look, uh, you know, all the kids are equal, but some kids are more equal mm-hmm. than others, right? It basically mm-hmm. says, if you're a high poverty school, uh, it matters more for your grade whether the low performers make progress than the high performers, Mm -hmm. then you are basically sending a strong signal that some kids matter more than others. And I don't know why, if we're looking at a group of kids, all of whom are poor, all of whom are disadvantaged, why we're going to preference one group or another. Let's, let's just say, look, a school has to make progress for everybody. But let me give you the unintended consequence to your unintended consequence, All right. <laughs> which is that if you keep score by proficiency, uh, then you have these problems that we're just describing 
of the kid who's right. already there gets 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 hosed. Well, if you keep score by growth, mm-hmm. uh, then then you are basically saying proficiency doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And as I always say, growth matters most until it doesn't. Right. Within K-12, growth matters the most to us. The real world keeps score by a very different mm-hmm. standard, which yeah. is proficiency. So it has to be growth leading to proficiency. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I if we're talking about schools, for instance, and the school has an average performance of two and they grow it to five, we're mm-hmm. still not going to say that's a great school. Right. Pat on the back, like well, we're we still going to have. If we're keeping score by by growth, right? See, but this is this is where I think you guys is just where need we're to brush have... up on your mathematics because <laughs> this is the deal. Look, when when you've got these really tough cut, you know, proficiency uh, cut scores now, yeah. when it's really hard to get proficiency, schools can be making a huge amount of growth and still not getting kids to proficient. And and okay. when it comes to evaluating schools, now by all mm-hmm. means, parents need to know whether their own mm-hmm. kids are on track. Okay, absolutely. All right, but when evaluating schools, we should try to take out of the equation things that are outside of their control, hold them accountable for making a lot of progress for kids. Uh, I think that's the way to go. Hey, what one tidbit, by the way, speaking of letting kid uh, parents know if their Mm -hmm. kids are on track. Did you know that there are states out there where it (laughs) appears that it's up to the school district to give the test scores to the parents? Really? And if they decide not to do it, they just don't give the parents the test scores. Or if that the parents don't ask. Appears to be no kidding. Okay, your tax dollars at work. Oh or, my or, god, or or not. All right. Well, there you go, guys. All right, that is all the time we've got for our Ed Reform update. Now it's time for everyone's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. You have that look like you've been to the rainforest. Ah, I've been to the rainforest. What a great break. I saw all these three or four different species of monkeys. Wow. Okay. One of almost two almost jumped on me and my husband as we're walking through. It was and, and at Fordham, wow. she usually only gets to see one species of monkeys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ah, but I'm It was a lot of fun. I don't know if anybody's been there. You guys been no, no I've never there. even been right. south of the equator. Well, it's great. Lots of lychee fruit. If you ever get a chance to eat a lychee fruit, mm. by golly, buy that thing. It looks like a strawberry with three inch hairs on it. Mm. But it is worth eating. You so you're all about the rainforest now. Oh, this I is love how the rainforest. Happens. Of course, I put five pounds of DEET on before I went. <laughs> right? You should have seen Rob and I. We're like spraying for ten minutes, nice. but by golly, we came back mosquito free. Okay, mm. and, and therefore Zika free. And Zika free. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah. indeed. The Americans with their Agent Orange coming uh, through the rainforest. Tell I, no. I have not oh, been to, no. to that rainforest. I have been to Brazil and. Uh, you know, I, I we had some run-ins with monkeys there. One that kept trying to drink my caipirinha, which wow. uh, what? Yeah, you know the the official drink of Brazil. The, oh the my cocktail. gosh, is that what I drank? I had one drink that started uh-huh. with a, the liquor started yeah. with a C. Yes. Mike, I got so sick. Uh-huh. I did not even tell you that. I was bent over. Really? Yeah. Uh huh. Hmm, I told Rob I will that. never oh ever drink one this of those is again. The, the, the TMI edition of yeah, the, it was TMI. Of the podcast. It, it, it did me in. I was having it by the pool, and then I oh, was, you had a bad one. They're very oh, good. Really? Well, that may be because you should only have it them in Brazil. Like, it has guava in it. Right? No, no, that was something. Oh, oh, the the liquor. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. <sighs> it was rough. All right, uh, we'll time. save that for our cocktail <laughs> podcast, uh, which we should do, by the way. But uh, I guess Kevin Carriari has his, uh, uh, was it Carry? Oh, no, it was uh, some other high-red folks who had their happy hour uh, uh, podcast. Okay. We're not eating into my minute, are we? Uh, no, I, 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 I will. the time we have for this week. 
Maybe it was a carry. I can't remember. Okay, go ahead, Amber. What you got? All right. We're not going to talk alcohol. We're going to talk about the early life experiences of incoming kindergartners in 1998 versus 2010. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're here about that. Uh, These analysts used two nationally representative data sets called Eccles Early Childhood Longitudinal Study. This is a really cool database we can compare over time how kids are doing, basically. Okay. So we have a bunch of survey information from the child's parents. And then they look at childs like they test the kids multiple times during kindergarten and later on in elementary mm-hmm. school. So they examine, among other things, readiness gaps. We'll talk about what that means at the ninth and tenth, uh, the tenth and ninetieth percentiles. Okay, of the income distribution. So how are the kids doing at the low and the high mm-hmm. end of the income distribution? For the most part, I'll tell you the bottom line. The data showed many encouraging signs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Across the board, they found that both high and low income young children in the later versus earlier cohorts were exposed to more books and more reading in the home. Mm-hmm. They had more access to educational games on computers mm-hmm. and they engage with their parents more both inside and outside of the home. Mm-hmm. These things happen despite the fact that other negative shifts in family characteristics occurred. For instance, among families at the 10th percentile, the likelihood that a mother is married at the time of her child's birth dropped five percentage points. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. Mothers at both the bottom and middle of the income distribution report a shift away from full-time work. Mm-hmm. And families mm-hmm. at the 10th income percentile, again, did not make any gains in college completion. Mm-hmm. So we saw some negative things happening, but still mm-hmm. we saw some gains on these readiness indicators. Okay. Right. So, for instance, uh, there's still progress on the readiness front. So, for example, the likelihood that low-income kindergartners will use a computer, I talked about this already, um, increased, doubled since 1998. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, we obviously, that has something to do with closing the digital divide. Well, and, all that and just computers being in the home. And computers being more home. Sure, that's not surprising. Um, and again, we see increases across the board relative to enrichment activities. But mm-hmm. again, it was more pronounced at the low-income mm-hmm. level. So, you saw, for instance... Low-income parents spending more time singing songs to their children. Mm -hmm. Very cute. Helping them with arts and crafts. Mm -hmm. uh, Playing games with them. Playing sports or exercising together. Mm -hmm. And then outside of the home, you also saw the low versus high income gap in library trips Mm. narrow by about 12 percentage points between Mm -hmm. low and so they were taking their kids to the library more often. This is all good news. All good Mm -hmm. news. I'm going to get to a little bit negative. Uh, Then they looked at readiness beliefs. Okay. Okay. So this in general, <laughs> parents in 2010, <clears throat> sorry, thought that their kids needed to have more skills to be ready for kindergarten versus the parents in 1998. So mm-hmm. across the okay. board, 2010, we think our kids need to know more. That's still so good for instance, news. they need to know how to count to 20. They need right. to know their letters, that kind of thing. But when you look at the income breakout, we see a widening gap in the beliefs because we still see middle and high income parents more likely to believe that their kids need these skills mm-hmm. versus the low income parents. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're just a little okay. bit more attuned to how much their kids need to know. I'm still not hearing bad news. Um, there's also a <laughs> widening gap in formal preschool participation. All right. Okay. Despite increased public investment in preschool. So we've spent a ton of money in preschool, right? But mm-hmm. we, we see that fewer low-income families are taking part in preschool anymore. And they send up saying, you know, because... Wait, is that right? There's fewer uh, poor not kids in fast. preschool it's, today than before? Or, uh, right, the, or the gap... Well, you through. know what? They didn't do that, but that's true, right? We've got okay. increasing income equality. So I would guess that that has to be true mm. as well. Right. We'd have That'll more. Mm. And we've got a widening gap. Okay. Um, so, 
basically they said that they were using less formal child care and they were doing more parental care, like okay. taking care of their, of their own. But remember that we saw less full-time work yeah. too. And this was in, by the way, 2010 in the, in the midst right. of the recession. And they say that that had something to do with it because yeah. we're surveying them in 2010 around the, t- I mean, that's right after, right. you know, in the midst of so here's uh, the my lingering recession. Well, hold on. Oh, my bottom line. I know. So okay. thank you. Uh, so I think like what I take away is it seems to be pretty good news. I think uh, parents seem to be across the board more attuned to spending quality time with their kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and now what we don't know is that a response to increased academic expectations. Okay. Is it more awareness of, you know, the fact that early childhood helps you become a well-adjusted adult? Right. Um, or is it something else? We don't know. My question is, is, is this the triumph of the 30 million word gap? In other words, has this become so such common knowledge that across income distributions, people finally get the idea I need to read to my child. I need to talk to my child. Isn't or is that, it something I mean, else? this was 2010, right? I mean, is yeah. that, I feel like the 30 million word gap buzz was only maybe starting a few years ago. Do you think? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in this work, so I feel like yeah. I've been hearing it for 20 yeah. years. Well, and they, they actually do mention that. Yeah. They, they mention okay. a bunch of stuff that yeah, could yeah, be, that and that could was be. thrown in the mix. And the reason I ask is because forever, when I left the classroom 10 years ago, I said, there's two things I want to do with the rest of my career. I want to work on curriculum, and mm-hmm. I want to work on parenting. Haven't yeah. quite gotten around to the parenting yeah, yeah, piece yeah. yet, but <laughs> right. this is what I want yeah, yeah, parents yeah, yeah, to yeah, know. Yeah, in no, other words, if you think about all the behavior changes that have occurred because of public health messages, I'm a lot older. Uh, but when I was a kid, people used to throw trash out of moving cars. We smoked in front of our kids. Mm-hmm. We drank and drive. We didn't use seatbelts. Public health messages change those behaviors. Mm-hmm. So are we seeing a change in behavior based yeah. on what we know about literacy? Yeah, I, I, I would love, it's a shame. I feel like, oh, I wish we had more data, of course, uh, right. you know, that we only have 98 and then 2010. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd love to know when these changes kicked in. Was it yeah. in... 2000 or was it in 2010? I mean, in part because we saw this big, you know, we started to see these big gains on NAEP, you know, right around the time, right in the late 90s, early 2000s. And and you wonder if some of this positive stuff started happening. Also, this this new report out by Scott Winship at the Manhattan Mm -hmm. Institute that I reviewed showing that if you measure it right and if you include all the safety net spending... Uh, you know, childhood poverty is down significantly Mm -hmm. since 1996. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't quite tell when that kicked in it, right. it, it i think it's you know welfare reform plus the earned income tax credit plus the oh, the medicaid expansion plus mm-hmm. uh food stamps i mean so some of that was much more recently right right but the notion that uh you know while it still sucks to be poor in america today mm-hmm. uh, we have made some progress against right. childhood poverty another big issue mm-hmm. you know we have seen this huge decline in teenage pregnancy mm-hmm. huge mm-hmm. decline and so you know parents today uh though they may not be married uh, and it may still be single parent families. You know, we're talking about at least mothers who are, you know, a little bit older, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more likely to complete high school at least, you know, I mean, and, and that that's got to help some, right? you know, right. if we're talking about 21 year old mothers mm-hmm. when the child's born versus 17 yeah. year old mothers. Well, it's a classic problem of how to disentangle all this. Stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but hey, let's celebrate some good news for a change, right? I sure, so. I, I choose to be encouraged. I know you choose. kept waiting for the negative. So there's just very little negative yeah. in there. No, um, but yeah, mostly positive news story. And yeah. And, and I think you had spotted it first and said, yay, let's cover something positive. Yes. And I was all about it. So absolutely. You know, well, hey, I'm still glowing from Costa Rica. So <laughs> I wanted to spread more good news. All right. Very good. This is by Sean Reardon and colleagues, right? He wrote about this right. in New York Times. And I think you, I think the uh, journal article is available, right? It to is. the public even. It so is. check that out. Mm-hmm. 
All right, guys. Thanks so much. That is all the time we've got for this week. Till next week. I'm Robert Pendicio. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.